Thank you for being here tonight. We're so grateful for your presence. We want you to know how much we appreciate you coming. I know that there are a lot of places you could be tonight, but you've chosen to be here, and we are very, very grateful for that. Thank you to Jared for leading our singing tonight and for the opportunity that we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. Thank you to Greg for reading our scripture, the prayer that was led a moment ago by Eric. And tonight we're going to be looking at another one of our characters, one of our character studies. Tonight we think about Pharaoh. And so we're going to go back and look at the book of Exodus. I want to call your attention to the book of Exodus. We're actually going to be looking at the book of Exodus in connection with Genesis. And then we'll look at a couple of passages in the New Testament. Tonight we're going to be focusing our minds on the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And I want to begin tonight by reminding all of us of a passage of Scripture that is found in the book of Proverbs. You remember Solomon many, many years ago said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Then, of course, in Proverbs chapter 23 at verse 7, again Solomon would say, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. When we talk about the heart, spiritually speaking, really we're talking about the mind. And so what Solomon is telling people of all ages is that we need to exercise care when it comes to the heart, our mind. And so tonight we want to think a little bit about Pharaoh. And I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to the revelation of God to Pharaoh. I think it's significant when we examine the life of Pharaoh, particularly his spiritual mindset. We've got to understand something about the revelation of God to this man in the long ago. So I want to begin by calling attention first and foremost to the promises of God. And this is going to take us back to Genesis chapter 12, because in order to appreciate the exodus, that is, the migration of God's people out of Egyptian bondage, we've got to go back and look again at the promise made to Abraham. And then you remember in chapter 15 what God said to Abraham about his seed line dwelling in a strange land. And so go back with me again and look at Genesis chapter 12. God, of course, has called Abraham, Abraham, identified by James as the friend of God. He became the father of the Hebrew nation. It would be through his seed line, his posterity, that the Christ, the Messiah, the one spoken of by Moses in Genesis 3.15, would emerge. And so in Genesis chapter 12, again you remember the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house. To a land that I will show you. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. And he said, and make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And then in verse 3, the latter part, he said, and in, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now you remember that God had promised Abraham that his seed line would dwell in a land flowing with milk and honey. So turn over now to the chapter 15, if you would. In chapter 15, of course, we have this seed line being traced, and ultimately, 
Abraham and Sarah would bear a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac would be instrumental in this promise. And so in Genesis chapter 15, note if you would, down in verse 12, the Bible says that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they will come out with great possessions. Look at verse 16. He said, In the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God here prophetically making a promise to Abraham. First He said that your seed line is going to be blessed. Ultimately that blessing would come through the Christ, the Messiah. But then He talked about the fact that they would be in bondage. For 400 years they would dwell in a foreign land. That land, of course, was Egypt. So with regard to this great promise. Joseph, we've looked at his life, and you remember Joseph was the favored son of Jacob or Israel. And it was through Joseph that the children of God migrated to the land of Goshen, became a mighty nation of people, and settled in the land of Egypt, didn't they? But you remember Joseph in the story became a light for God in a pagan land. For example, in chapter 41, after Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, you remember Pharaoh asked the question, is there any man who has the Spirit of God? Can we find a man such as this who has the Spirit of God? And then note if you would over in chapter 1 of the book of Exodus. This, of course, following the demise of Joseph, many years have elapsed. In chapter 1, verse 8, the text says, There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph was a light for God in a pagan land. And ultimately, it was through Joseph that the children of Israel, as I said a moment ago, they migrated to Goshen, they became a mighty nation of people. They dwelt there for 400 years, and now the time has come for those people to leave, to make their way to the promised land. And so the circumstances that we find unfolding in the book of Exodus, Moses is called upon to go and to stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh, of course, is going to demonstrate a stiff neck bow up, as we say, and not allow the children of God to leave. So I think about the promises of God, and then God through Moses tells him that Pharaoh's going to have the opportunity to see firsthand something about the power of Almighty God. So look now at chapter 3. The children of Israel, they're in this foreign land. Back in chapter 2, you remember... Moses said it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. Their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. You remember down in verse 7 of chapter 3, God, of course, in this context, calling upon Moses and telling Moses that he would be the one to go and to stand before Pharaoh. Moses had a number of reasons as to why he was not able to fulfill this task, but God said, you're my man. So in chapter 3, verse 10, or rather look at, if you would, down in verse, well, look if you would at verse 13. He said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. But the anger of God was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he's also coming to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I'll be, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So Moses is entrusted by Almighty God, Moses and Aaron, to stand before Pharaoh. Now drop down, look at chapter 3, if you would. I was reading chapter 4, I'm sorry. Note, if you would, in chapter 3. Down in verse, well, look at verse 18. God said to Moses, He said, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand, I'll stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Now think about this for a minute. God is going to perform the miraculous before Pharaoh and the children of Israel. Ten miracles. Every miracle directed at one of the pagan gods of Egypt. Now I read mistakenly, from chapter 4. But I want to go back and look at chapter 3 again because I think it's significant. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. With regard to the children of Israel and their cry to God. God said in chapter 3, verse 7, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. God was mindful of the plight of His people. The appointed time had come and God was ready to bring His chosen people out of bondage. He would lead them out of bondage into the land of Canaan. It would take some time for them to settle in Canaan, but ultimately they would find a home in that land flowing with milk and honey. So Pharaoh had the opportunity time and again to see something about the one true God. Now I want you to look at chapter 5. Let's just talk for a minute or two about the rejection of God by Pharaoh. And I want to begin by calling attention to verses 1 and 2. And as we begin this point, let me just talk for a minute or two about the opportunities of Pharaoh. When I think about the opportunities that we have to come to an understanding of God, First, we have creation, don't we? We can look around and look at the evidence and we can, as a result of the evidence before us, conclude there is a God. But then there is revelation. In God's Word, when we begin to sift through His Word time and again, 
we can come to a knowledge of the one true God. Well, in Exodus chapter 5, note if you would Pharaoh's attitude toward God. Moses and Aaron go in and tell Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Let me ask you a question. When you go back and look at the evidence found in the book of Exodus, and you read about Pharaoh, can you recall a single instance in which Pharaoh tried to come to a deeper understanding of God? He raised the question, who's the Lord, that I should obey Him? But then he immediately shut it down. I'm not going to let him go. We have, as I said a minute ago, ample opportunity to come to a knowledge of truth, to recognize the existence of God. Some, like Pharaoh, shut it down. They're not interested in pursuing divine truth. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you talk about the one true God and you begin to lay out what the Bible has to say about New Testament Christianity and through the course of the conversation, it becomes apparent to you they're just not interested. They're not interested in pursuing that line of thinking. Pharaoh was not interested in the one true living God. Note also in verse 2, when he asked the question, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let him go. His appraisal of God. In other words, if we go back and begin to sift through the record, two things stand out. Number one, Pharaoh rejected the message of God. He not only rejected the message of God, but the messengers of God, didn't he? Time and again, when Moses and Aaron stood before him, he rejected what he heard. And then, when you begin to examine the ten miracles performed by Moses and Aaron, or by Moses, those miracles should have caused Pharaoh to reflect upon the power of God, the nature of God. I mean, who could do this? As a matter of fact, turn over, if you would, in chapter 8. In chapter 8, we have the miracle of the lice. And the text says, look at verse 17. Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. It became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. You remember they had tried to duplicate some of the signs of Moses and Aaron in the past. Some they were able to. And the text says there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God or this is the act of God. They were catching on, weren't they? Here were the magicians or enchanters and they recognized there's something to the power of Almighty God, the one true God. And yet, Pharaoh 
time and again refuse to acknowledge the power of God. So let's just note, back up and look again in the record. Note, if you would, beginning in verse 14. I'm not going to go through all, all the material, but I want to just maybe point a couple of things out here. In chapter 14, we have the first miracle, that is, turning the river into blood, or the water into blood. And as we begin going through these ten miracles, it becomes evident that Pharaoh had what we would call a heart problem. So look at verse, well, look at verse 14. In verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, with regard to the first plague that was to come upon them, the first miracle, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. He prefaced that by saying in verse 18, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them as the Lord had said. And then down in verse 22, following Moses turning the water into blood, the text says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Look at chapter 8, the second plague, the frogs. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. I mentioned the lice a moment ago. Verse 19, the Bible says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Fourth plague, flies. Again, look at verse 32. Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let his people go. Drop down, look at chapter 9, the fifth plague, the pestilence on the, on the beast of the field. Verse 12, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then the seventh plague, that is, hell. The Bible says in verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hell, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. He and his servants, not only was the heart of Pharaoh hard, but the Bible says that the Egyptian people, that their heart became hard as well. Verse 35, the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And then look at the eighth plague, the locust. Verse 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. Every single time following the plague, the text says that Pharaoh's heart was hard. That he hardened his heart, and the Bible also says that the Lord hardened his heart. Well, how do you reconcile that? How is it on the one hand that Pharaoh could harden his own heart, but then the text says that God hardened his heart? I think what we have to understand is some, sometimes... God is said to do what He merely allows to happen through the natural course of events. Pharaoh had the freedom of volition, didn't he? He had the opportunity to make choices. He had every opportunity to investigate the power of God. He could have called Moses and Aaron and said, Listen, I want to know more about this God. I want to know something about the God that you're serving. And why is it that it's so important that 
your people leave here. He didn't do that, did he? But rather, every single time he bowed up, even when he said that he'd let them leave, he'd turn right around and go back on his word. Two times throughout the course of these events, Pharaoh said, I've sinned. But it wasn't godly sorrow. It wasn't motivated by a genuine penitent heart, was it? And then, of course, over in chapter 12, listen to chapter 12 with regard to the tenth and final plague having to do with the firstborn. God said in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. This would be the definitive blow that would ultimately lead to the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And then over in chapter 14. Listen now to what the text says in verse, beginning in verse 3. God said to Moses, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they, were, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. This is after they've already left. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So, according to the text, Pharaoh demonstrated a hard heart. He was the cause of the hardening of his heart. Let me give you a couple of passages in the New Testament maybe to think about in connection with this. First, turn over, for example, to the book of John. Look at John chapter 12. You ever wondered, had you lived in the day of Moses and you had had the opportunity to see the signs and wonders performed by Almighty God through this great man Moses and Aaron, would you have come away in awe or wonder? Would it have caused you to think about the power of Almighty God, the one true living God? And then jettison forward in time to the day of Christ. In the Gospel of John, there is a record of sign after sign after sign or miracle performed by Jesus. Seven signs. But listen to what the text says in John chapter 12. This has to do, well, contextually, the Lord Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, which in my estimation would have been the pinnacle of all miracles. But note what is said down in verse 37 of John 12. Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? A quotation from Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Then verse 39. Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, and this goes back to Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, he saw the second member of the Godhead. Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, 
lest they should see with their eyes, understand with their heart, lest they should turn so that I should heal them. The Jews of Jesus' day, did they not have ample opportunity to come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah? They heard Him preach time and again, didn't they? John said in chapter 7, verse 46, the record says no man ever spoke like this man. And then miracle after miracle after miracle performed by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, John said that this was in fulfillment of what Isaiah had recorded centuries earlier. So wherein was the problem? The problem with the Jews was a problem of the heart. Now turn over, if you would, to the book of Ephesians for a minute. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Note, if you would, what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Again, we're thinking about the hardening of the heart and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul said, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Now note, because of the hardening of their heart. Now note this expression in verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. When Paul used the expression being past feeling in the original, that word carries with it the idea of becoming calloused. As we would say, dead to any kind of feeling or sensation. It denotes a state wherein a person is not able to judge between right and wrong. Is that not what, what happened to Pharaoh? Did he not reach a point, as we would say, of no return? And then note 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul here, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The idea is here's somebody whose conscience has been branded or seared. There's no spiritual, spiritual feeling there. There's no sensitivity to divine truth. So what's the point? Well, let's go back now and look at Romans chapter 2. In the New Testament, ample warnings concerning the heart and the danger of not exercising spiritual care of the heart. And again, we go back and look at Pharaoh. And as I pointed out a minute ago, Pharaoh had every opportunity to see the hand of God, to see the footprint of God in all that was taking place. But he bowed up, refused the evidence. Sometimes people do that, don't they? Now, you know, God could have said, 
I'm going to put my people, I'm going to take them out of Egypt, I'm not going to put before Pharaoh and the children, or rather the Egyptians, any of my wonders, any of my signs. In other words, I'm not going to demonstrate before them my power, my oneness in all the universe. But he didn't do that, did he? God was giving Pharaoh opportunity to recognize, he was giving Pharaoh the opportunity to recognize something about his supremacy. So look at Romans in chapter 2. And here we think about how God is long-suffering to His people. And God is long-suffering toward the human family. Again, God gave Pharaoh and his people ample opportunity to see something about him. So look at verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, talking to the Jews, whoever you are that judge. In whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you, you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now look at verse 4 and tell me that this is not an apt picture of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, Paul said, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God was long-suffering toward Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. and Basically, they said, we're not interested. And God punished them. God judged them, didn't He? So what then is the application to us today? We need to exercise extreme care when it comes to our heart. I don't know when a person reaches that point of no return, but I do believe that a person at some point in time in his or her life will reach a state where they're no longer moved by the gospel of Christ. They are, as Paul said, past feeling. Their conscience has become seared. And they can hear the gospel of Christ time and time and time again. They can listen to the tender pleadings and the persuasive words, but they're not moved. Sometimes individuals who are members of the body of Christ, they go back into the world and they become caught up in the world and the things that are going on in the world. And over time, all of the teaching that they had heard is dismissed and forgotten. And they're in that distant land and they're no longer moved by the truth of Almighty God. And the sad fact of the matter is they're out in the world and they're not coming back. They'll never come back because they've reached that point of no return. That's where Pharaoh was. And there are those who have never obeyed the gospel and they have heard the message time and again and you just keep saying no. Keep refusing the message. And at some point, I promise you this, you will never respond. 
Same is true with those who become unfaithful. There are people in the body of Christ, they have been unfaithful for years and years. They know better. They were taught better. There are folks in this area that had faithful mothers and fathers that taught them, instructed them, prayed for them, encouraged them, pointed them in the right direction. And all that's gone. You can call them, you can talk to them, you can send them a card, you can send them a text, you can sit down and talk to them one-on-one, but they're just not interested. And they'll be lost. And that's a sad thing. Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, they had every opportunity to see the hand of God, to see His power, to see the wisdom of God, and they turned a deaf ear to everything that they heard, and they were blind to everything that they saw. And Sadly, there are some folks in the body of Christ today. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. As Isaiah the prophet said in the long ago, I've often wondered about some folks. I've wondered, have they gone too far? It's not for me to say. But I believe with all my heart that we can get to a point where we're no longer moved by the message of the gospel. Now, is God interested in us? Yes. What was it Paul said? Do you despise the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Right now, if you're not a Christian, you have the opportunity to make a choice. You can decide today whether or not you'll become a Christian. You keep saying no. At some point in time, you may never say yes. You might be here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. You've been living unfaithfully for years and years and years. Just not interested in coming back. Well, just maintain that attitude. You won't ever come back. But tonight you have the opportunity to change things. You can come home tonight. What was it? The Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is God interested in you spiritually? Yes, He is. Does God want you to be saved? Yes, He does. But that decision is yours. And you have to, you have to live with the decision you make, just like Pharaoh did. Sadly, he made the wrong decision, as did the people in Egypt. But that doesn't have to be you. You can choose to honor God. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ, believing Him to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, let Him add you to the church, be faithful to Him. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause and you need to come home and you know you do, I would encourage you strongly, don't let tonight pass without making things right. Don't leave here unfaithful. Won't you come as we stand and sing?